0: The Phoenix Suns have formed the NBA's latest super team, something we did not think was going to happen for a while and something that will require a bunch of adjustment from all of the parties involved. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, Howard Beck joins to discuss all of the ripple effects of Beal to Phoenix. Let's go. You are locked on Suns. Your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show wherever you get your podcasts. A big thanks for getting ready for draft day here on Locked On Suns. We are still talking Beal. We are still talking about the biggest move the Suns might make this whole offseason. But the NBA offseason, the NBA craziness is in full swing, and we appreciate you spending the day with us. We're free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. All that you have to do to get locked on to your favorite team each and every day is hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding this show. Become an everydayer. Today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA to get a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. Joining us for the second time this postseason slash offseason is Howard Beck, the Locked On NBA insider. You have read his work, heard his work for years, and he is with us on our network this summer. Howard, I listened to you uh, on Locked On NBA. It seemed like you had some understandably skeptical thoughts about the Bradley Beal trade, so I'm excited to get into some of that with you. Um, and it, it's actually perfect because I think the last time that you were on this show was midway through or before the Nuggets series. I can't remember, but that's kind of where I want to start, which is a, a, a pretty basic question. Is, is this move enough to put the Suns closer to feeling like they can beat the Denver Nuggets after that six-game series in the second round this postseason? Closer? Sure
1: um but also kind of unclear right um there's the trade that they've made which is still as we record not official may yeah. inc- may I- end up involving other teams other components the assumption is that chris paul gets redirected somewhere and so the wizards pull out more assets but if history has taught us anything it's that when you decide to hold the deal to see if any you if you can expand it you might pull in a third team or even a fourth team Suns could still possibly pull in another asset or two also. Like like, a lot of things could still happen. I'm not saying I I don't want to raise expectations, but like (laughs) a lot can happen still until the deal is final, final. So we can only judge what we have in front of us, which is that the Suns have basically five guys under contract, three of whom by themselves, excuse me, four of whom by themselves are nearly at the luxury tax line. Mm-hmm. Just their their big three plus Aiton, um, and there's a lot of questions. Right? Are they going to flip Aiton? Is that the way you get more depth by trading Aiton for multiple pieces? Uh, or are you keeping DeAndre Aiton and giving him a chance to to maybe forge a better relationship with uh, Frank Vogel than he had with Monty Williams? Um, are you re-signing all of your free agents with their various versions of Bird and early Bird, non-Bird, whatever rights? How, how can you get guys to come ring chase for the minimum? a lot that we still don't know here uh, on the day before the draft. And we'll get clarity soon, but as of right now, we can only judge what's in front of us. And what's in front of us is a big three with a lot of overlapping skills, no clear defensive go-to guy to guard the other team's best perimeter player, no clear indication of how they're going to fix the depth issue that plagued them in that series against the Nuggets. Um there's a lot of question marks. So closer sure. I'll I'm going to give benefit of the doubt in saying yes, they've narrowed the gap a little bit only because if you go into training camp with uh, 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 the full complement now, right? Durant's not a mid-season acquisition anymore. He's there from day 1. He's there at training yeah. camp. The coach is is is, is new and he's going to implement his own stuff. Um there will be time for Durant and Booker and now Beal to establish whatever their chemistry, their pecking order. Um, Vogel has a chance to figure out how to keep two of them on the court at the same time at all times and and how they function when it's these three versus these two versus those two or just this one guy. There's a lot of that stuff that will happen. But at the end of the day, listen, here's what the Nuggets still have. I'm not going to declare Jokic a better player than Kevin Durant, but he is right now the consensus, by which I mean whatever, the everybody who's talking about this. Jokic currently occupies the mythical best player on the planet title championship belt. Yes. Yeah. And besides that, like, I think even just, you know, the two, two MVPs, uh, followed by second place, MVP followed by finals MVP. He's, he gets to wear the belt right now of best living player. They have that. They have continuity in their roster guys, a core that's been together for years already continuity in their coach. Michael Malone's one of the longest tenured in the league and the Suns are on, you know, their, you know, third coach in however many years. Um, the Nuggets may not have an elite defense, but they have better defenders, with guys like Gordon and Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown, if they can re-sign him. Um, yeah. They have better depth, and their stars are more reliable. Like, granted, Jamal Murray has missed time in the past, but Jamal Murray is now clearly on the other side of his ACL rehab. Michael Porter Jr. has, you know, shown himself to be sturdier since coming back from a lot of his issues, Jokic has been as sturdy a star as there is in this league. Whereas Beal and Durant, not so much. And even Booker the last couple of years, not so much. So I think there's still a, a definite gap there. Um, and then it comes to like, why, well, well, where are the Suns in that pack behind the nuggets who are the clear favorites yeah. going into next season? And that's really hard, right? Like, <laughs> Uh, the Warriors are going to make moves this summer. The Warriors were still really, really good and better than their record indicated. And they're going to make moves. The Lakers, once they got their new crew, once they swapped out Westbrook for all these other guys, were a much, much better team. So their record was not reflective of who they are. The Clippers, I don't know what the Clippers are going to do, but we can keep doing the, if healthy, the Clippers are in the mix. Yeah. Um. And the Kings and Grizzlies are still really good. And yep. the Pelicans could be. And the I don't know what to make of the Mavericks, but Luca's one of the best players in the NBA. I'm not a Kyrie guy, but okay, Luca and Kyrie start the season together, presumably. They have a ton of work to do to fill out their roster. But I just mentioned them because, out of respect for for Luca's talent, so that's a bunch of teams that are all going to be fighting for two through four to get one of those home court advantage spots or maybe two through six to get one of the the absolute playoff spots without being in the play-in. And the Suns are in there. I'm not... I'm not ready, you know. Shoot me if you must. I'm not ready to proclaim the Suns better than that all that group that I just talked about. I mean, better than the Pelicans and, and Mavericks, sure. Better than Kings and Grizzlies, maybe. Better than a refortified Warriors, Lakers, Clippers. I'm not sure.
0: All all valid points. So the Nuggets finished with the fifth defensive rating in the playoffs when it was all said and done at one eleven. The Suns were at like one seventeen through their eleven playoff games, and and that is the. That is the biggest difference. I think that there is something to be said also that I, I feel like has gotten a little bit lost with the Nuggets is they also, and part of this was them being so dominant, they didn't have to play a lot of games and not a lot of close games, but they were perfectly healthy, right? So you imagine a series, a season maybe next year, Aaron Gordon misses a game or two. like There are some things like that sure. that, that could play into it, but you're not going to bet on that. You're not going to use that to evaluate how these things are. So that 117 versus 111, I feel like is kind of, the whole thing. But even in the second round, uh, when these two teams played, the Suns had a 112 offensive rating. The Nuggets had a 122 uh, offensive rating. So I would tend to agree with you that the main thing that the Suns needed to do in order to beat Denver specifically has not been bridged. And maybe there was no way to bridge it. I mean, none other than Pat Riley, I think, said at his postseason uh, press conference this week that he doesn't think there is a way to guard Nikola Jokic and and the Nuggets after trying to do it, you know, for a series. Although he obviously is not the coach, he saw it up close. Um, As for the West, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I just think there's so much uh, influx that, you know, I I had it as the only two teams I could really count on that would either stand pat or get better, were the Lakers or the Kings. I think the Lakers, it's like if they get Rui and, and Reeves back, maybe D'Angelo Russell leaves, take it or leave it, but their main best kind of four or five guys will, will all be back. The Kings the same way, and those two teams could even be better. But then I had Warriors, Clippers, Pelicans, Timberwolves, Grizzlies, all could take a step back depending on how the offseason shakes out for them. Um, and I think depth is a thing that the Suns have to worry about, but I also think there's a lot of top heavy teams and even Denver, you know, they'll likely be younger next season. That's not to say they won't still be deep if those guys work out, but you could be looking at two of their seven from the two of their seven or eight from the playoffs and Bruce Brown and Jeff green, both leaving. And then maybe it's Christian Brown and Peyton Watson and some of the picks that they acquired in that interesting kind of pick swap deal that they did during the finals, Maybe it's rookies stepping in, and and that leaves some uncertainty, too. Not to say that's going to knock them off of where they are, but, you know, nothing is a sure thing. So I agree with you. I think that this team, the Suns, did the best with what they had. But I don't know if it is something that you check the box and feel like they are where they need to be after this one move. It will be uh, more throughout the offseason, which will get you to close the show. I want to ask Howard about a DeAndre Ayton trade as well as... um, Just what this team will sort of be looked at as by other NBA veterans, other NBA teams. We'll close the show that way. Next up, though, I want to talk about Bradley Beal. There's been a lot of skepticism about whether he can adjust his game, whether he is the the right third guy in this sort of super team situation, which we have seen a lot, but maybe not a player exactly like Beal have to be the one adjusting. So we'll get to that all next first. Today's show brought to you by Bird Dogs. Wearing them right now, I'm not gonna stand up and show anybody, but you can go ahead and trust me. They are wonderfully comfortable, and as I've told you over and over, for my audience, for all of you listening in Arizona, they're even better because they're comfortable, they're lightweight, and they're flexible, which is what you really need when it is already, uh, you know, we're gonna have some 110 days here in the not-too-distant future. You just need something that's comfy, that can get you through the day, but that is not gonna feel so congested and gross. That's what Bird Dogs does. They have the underlayer to keep the sweat out. They have the stretchable, everything, and again, soft, comfy, good-looking, all of what you want. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA to get that free Yeti-style tumbler with your order, ice drinks, hot drinks, whatever you want. Birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA to get that free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. You will not want to take your Bird Dogs off. That is their promise. All right, back here with Howard Beck. Let's go through Bradley Beal's role in all of this, Howard. Um, the, the season that I've been focused on talking and thinking about this guy since the deal went down is 2016-17, which I readily admit was seven years ago. Um, but that was really Beal's breakout season. He was 23, and what's kind of the most interesting as I'm thinking about what he'll have to do in Phoenix is – that that year, the the Wall-Gortat pick and roll was kind of the centerpiece of Washington's offense. You had Marquise Morris still prominently involved with a, a decently high usage rate, and then some breakout kind of role player seasons from Otto Porter, Kelly Oubre. We all remember that team. They they played Boston and everything else. Um, and so yes, I can look at Beal and see an increase in mid range frequency to a really really high level, which was already a problem for the Suns with Chris Paul on this team and, and might be one again. But he's also increased his floater and at-rim frequency in terms of just sort of where he's taking his shots. And again, when I look back to that season, I'm not saying he can play like that guy. I'm not saying that egos and comfort and all the things that happen when players are 30 and established that don't happen when they're 23 and coming up in the league, I know that matters. But I guess it just helps when you've seen it, and we've seen it from Beal, And I just think that at least should give some optimism that he can take a little bit more of that backseat and adjust his game to what it'll have to look like next to Booker and Durant. What do you think? So
1: the most encouraging thing you could possibly point to is that Bradley Beal had a no trade clause could direct where he wanted to land and landed with the Suns. So he knows he's landing with a team where he is the number three. Cause the first question I I would ask is like, does he understand that he's Gonna be the number three. I I I think he does. Pretty sure Bradley Beal's not gonna put himself ahead of Kevin Durant or Devin Booker. Um now it's one thing to to know that intuitively, to recognize it, to say, yes, that's where I want to go. Let's do it. It's another thing to actually make the adjustment. Because sometimes we think about this in terms of like ego or selfishness, and, and it's those things matter sometimes, but you could be you can put your ego aside, you could be a, a, a team player. It's still an adjustment. It's still hard to go from being the undisputed number one, even though, yes, I'm an undisputed number one surrounded by so-so talent and I'm losing a lot of games. Yeah, sure, it's better to be part of uh, a a super team and win more and have a higher upside and not have everything on your shoulders. It doesn't mean it's not an adjustment. You still have to figure out how to be comfortable with the ball in your hands less frequently. And one of the things I was impressed by, uh, one of the things that Beal impressed me with over the course of his time with Washington was that he came in as kind of your prototypical off ball shooter. He made a name for himself as a great three point shooter. Not so much the last few years. That's, <laughs> you know, something to, to to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, but he developed uh much better uh, ball handling skills along the way, playmaking skills. Like he, he he's become a guy who can initiate the offense. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he had that at this level when he came into the league. So like all great players, all, all guys who, who you know, who are going to be multiple time, all stars, you add, as you go. So for the, the Suns, you know, one question that I raised on, on locked on NBA uh, with Nick the other day was, well, who's the point guard, but also maybe they don't need a point guard, right? You've traded Chris Paul. Maybe you're just going with a, a, a Booker Beal backcourt. Booker Beal Durant can all handle the ball. They can all initiate the offense. No, none of them are prototypical playmaking uh, types. They're not point guards or point forwards or point anythings. But they can all run an offense. And as, as you know, obviously you and, and your listeners know well, you know, Booker at times earlier in his career was forced to do a lot of it when he wasn't really ready for it. But now he's he's got all of that uh, experience and better understanding of the game. And I think he can leverage his abilities and his gravity that much more uh, wisely and strategically at this stage of his career. So uh, I'm not overly concerned with the quote-unquote lack of a point guard. But I am curious. I am curious. Mm-hmm. Do they think they still want one? Cause that's going to have an effect on all those, all those guys yeah. too. And on Beal, right. Um, they're all used to having the ball in their hands a lot. They're all used to having high usage rates. Someone's going to have to sacrifice a little. You had asked me like historically, where could we look? I actually thought a little bit about the 2016 to 19 warriors. Like is Bradley Beal now clay basically mm. like uh, Durant and Curry did not give up a lot when they be, became teammates in terms of usage that, you know, I think, I think Curry might've given up a little bit. Uh, I think clay was the one who actually sacrificed the most in terms of touches and opportunities and just standing in the offense. Yeah. So um, Beal may have to do, you know, he, that, that's the part he has to, has to deal with, I think.
0: So I looked at Ray Allen a little bit um, when he went from Seattle to Boston. Sure. Yeah. That's a great comp too. Just because I think, they were just such dramatically different roles, and it's, it went a little bit deeper than usage, although the usage is there, too. He was at 30% in his final year in Seattle, 22% his first year in Boston, went from taking 38% of his shots as threes to 46% from one year to the next after the trade. I think the other part of it that was intriguing to me there was he's also a guy that was kind of on the smaller side, early 30s, not much of a defender, and kind of just had to make it work on that end, and and just be a different player offensively. Um, but to your point a minute ago, in terms of of sacrifice and, and everything else, I, I actually agree with you that it's going to be much more of a basketball adjustment than like a mindset adjustment, because the the part that I've been kind of hammering home for people since this happened is all these guys have gotten paid, right? I, I mean, that sounds obvious, because we have have focused so much on the aprons and everything else, but... Even Booker already has a supermax that's actually going into effect this year. Like, uh, this is not a situation where somebody is trying to to get theirs, you know? And I think that that should be able to help from the mindset standpoint. Beal choosing to come to Phoenix should help. Durant just chose to come here not too long ago and reportedly was, you know, in contact with Beal during all of this. So I don't think there's going to be any sort of butting of heads just from an initial standpoint as teammates. But again, it is that comfort level. Um, I don't know if that Ray Allen thing, I don't know how much you were around that Celtics team back then, but, um, that was just the one that felt the most apt just from all the stuff I listed off the, the major adjustment Ray had to make.
1: I have two thoughts on that. So one is, um, you know, Ray was probably right around the same age, you know, um, as, as Beal now, right. Beal's going to turn 30 soon. And I think Ray was right around that age, 30, 31. Um, And Ray Allen, people forget this because we think of him just as this amazing shooter, which he is. Uh, but Ray Allen during his Sonics years, uh, you know, had the ball in his hands a lot, right? He he'd run, pick, and roll. He, you know, he 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 did a lot more with the ball in his hands than just shoot. Um, and so it, it was an adjustment. The difference with the Celtics is that Garnett never was like the go-to high usage scorer type. Didn't want to be that even in Minnesota where he kind of had to Garnett was always more about like, I'm, I am I just want to do all the stuff that I'm good at and play a, a great team game overall and whatever. And plus he was a big and he was a defensive linchpin. And so the big three in Boston, everybody ever since the big three era started or this big three era started in 2007, eight with that Celtics team, everyone has kind of viewed it as the abstract as just get three stars, but, not every three star alignment is, you know, meshes as well as, as others. It actually even took some time for Dwayne Wade and LeBron as two primary ball handler scorer types to figure it out. And their third was Bosch who did not need to be a high usage guy and was a big, this, the, the Suns. it's more akin to sort of what the warriors had with Steph clay, Durant, except that they also had Draymond Green as a, a linchpin defensive player, and as their as, as okay. they were a big four. Um, this is sort of akin to what the Nets briefly briefly had with Kyrie, KD, Harden. Amazing that KD is in every single example. Um, and and again, that one in the short time they were together, they were dominant. The injuries undermined them. Uh, other stuff undermined them. Um, but I think it's harder when you have three guards to wings types who were all used to having the ball in their hands a lot. I think the mm-hmm. Celtics model was almost the ideal, right? Where Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett were all stars and, and all guys who could carry a team in their own right to some extent, but they had very specific skill sets that made them distinct. And that made them not have to worry about overlapping too much, even though yes, Ray Allen did have to give up a lot of usage. This yeah. situation's a little bit different and Bradley Beal um, is, is I think going to have to make, a serious sacrifice. Um, but again, you know, Beal's going to miss time at some point due to injury because he always does. And Durant's going to miss some time due to injury because he always does. And, and Booker again, the last couple of years. So there will be times, whether it's within a game or stretches of the season where I think everyone's going to get their chance to, you know, exercise the the full capacity of, of their skills.
0: Yeah. And that Celtics team too. I think this, if you could tell the Suns that they were going to get, a young Kendrick Perkins type and a young Rajon Rondo type, they would be thrilled. I mean, that's that's really the, well, the part of this that, yeah. that they don't have and, right now is just that the young depth that they just... And that was going to be a problem before anything happened with Beal. If they had kept yes. and rolled it back with Paul and Aiton, they still didn't have those guys. This was a Durant trade problem. This was a poor drafting problem. I think that's some of what's getting missed too is people want to make it... The Beal trade was this all-in move. It's like they traded Chris Paul, who they were maybe going to cut, and Landry Shamit, who might not even play, depending on a, what given night it was. So they didn't have all that stuff before this. Now it's even more yeah. important to find it. Yeah. Also, so the Celtics,
1: young Rajon Rondo, so they really kind of had a big four because Rondo elevated to that level very quickly. They had Perk. They had Sam Cassell and P.J. Brown and Leon Poe and Tony Allen. And, like, yeah. they had a squad. They had a mm-hmm. full Squad, just creating a big three with a bunch of max guys, it's never enough on its own. You need all that that depth and defensive specialists and everything else. And so that's the task that's still ahead of the Suns. And you're right, and I want to clarify this because like some people got annoyed with me over the last couple of days with my skepticism about this trade. I get that they got Beal basically for nothing, as you just laid out. Um, But they did trade two useful players for one, right? Mm -hmm. So for a team that was already strapped for depth, you did just consolidate two players into one. It it made your depth even that much shallower. Um, They have a bunch of work still to do. And it's also the question of what were the alternatives, right? We'll we'll never know the alternate scenario. But in the scenario where you don't trade for Beal and go all in and become extremely top heavy. And by the way, there's all the implications of being top heavy these days that didn't exist before because of the second apron and all the new penalties coming into this CBA. So it's not just like, oh, well, it's fine. We'll figure it out. No, it's harder to figure it out now. Yeah. It's going to be harder to, to, to add players. And yeah. you'll never know what the other opportunity lost was of trading Chris Paul for depth instead of another star or trading Chris Paul and Landry Shamet for depth instead of another star. Um, again, that's why I, I still wonder about where, where Aiton's fate ultimately lies.
0: Yeah, let's get into uh, potential just surveying the landscape. For an 8 in trade, as well as just what the Suns' kind of status will be in the league, both if I'm a 30-year, 30 35-year-old free agent who might want to ring chase, as well as for other owners and other executives. I think it's an interesting conversation. But to, 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 to tie the bow on what you were just saying, I'm going to be very interested to see if Chris Paul does go to the Clippers. It'll be a fun thought exercise to look at that and say, if the Suns could have gotten that, and whatever they eventually get for an eight and trade, which they still that will be theirs because he's still on the team. But in sum, comparing that to the Bradley Beal move, Landry Sham and take it or leave it, but that was a salary piece that, that you would have maintained. It's going to be interesting when it's all said and done to look at what those different pathways were, but the Suns have already chosen theirs. So it is what it is. Let's get into that bigger picture conversation next. First, today's show brought to you by eBay Motors. Just Like in basketball with a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. And it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time that you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. with eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. I've told you guys about my story of driving to a Mercury game a few weeks ago. And somewhere, someplace in downtown Phoenix is my wheel cover for my front uh, driver's side Wheel, and I don't have that anymore. So I've made an account on eBay. I actually have an order coming in soon. Just add your ride to my garage. Look for the green check to know the part will fit or get your money back. Because just like in sports, once again, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. Over 122 million parts to choose from. You'll be back in the game in no time. It's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit. Only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions. Apply. All right, let's close things out. Let's just uh, keep on the Aiton side of things real quick here, Howard. I, I don't know if you have thoughts or just surveying the landscape from your vantage point. It seems like from the rumors and leakage and craziness that comes out this time of year, no one seems to be in agreement over whether there is much of a market for DeAndre Aiton and what deals may actually be out there. And that's been the case for a year, dating back to offer sheets and sign and trade possibilities when he was a free agent last summer. So if you just had to guess now, do you feel like the Suns are able to find a trade that's worth doing for Ayton before the beginning of the season?
1: Boy, it's really hard to know. I'll be honest. Um, I haven't really canvassed people around the league on Ayton's you know current perceived value or who would chase him if he were made available today um look let, let's just you know speak about it in the abstract here or just the, the the knowns right we know that the pacers did make him an offer sheet uh you know a, a year ago and certainly were willing to 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 have him um even though they already had Miles Turner and uh who knows what how different history might be if the suns had just let him walk. Um, but there was clearly interest by the Pacers. I think there's, there would absolutely be interest by other teams. He's a really talented two-way center with a lot of question marks over him and some clouds and other things that are just kind of hovering over. Um, I, I would, you know, certainly believe that uh, the Suns, though the though Monty Williams is gone, the Suns as an organization know exactly who DeAndre Ayton is for all of his uh, skills and his warts. And I'm sure there's still probably some questions there about whether he's the best piece to go forward with. So the logical thing would be to be opportunistic, especially because you now have so much money tied up in the big three and he becomes a big four. And as I said earlier, you're basically at the, at the luxury tax line, just with those four, it makes a lot of sense to try to break him up into smaller pieces to replenish your depth to make your your payroll a little bit more manageable, to give yourself more flexibility to make other moves down the line. Um, I have to believe that there's still investigating those possibilities. I have not tried to do the exercise of like, well, where would he actually land? Who would want it's him? It's not easy.
0: I'll tell you that. As somebody who has <laughs> done that exercise and some of the listeners So where did you was- land? All right, so who's your top three spots that you think make the most... Not, not not, that yeah. they have
1: the assets or whatever else, but if mm-hmm. you just pick three teams that you'd say he makes the most sense for, if you yeah. could figure out the rest, where do
0: you throw them? I think it's teams that are already expensive. I think it's teams similar to what we just saw the Suns do with Beal, where you don't want to clog your sheet with Aiton if you're young, and you're developing your team and your roster there's no need to bring in a 30 million dollar center so it's more along the lines of the three that I think I'm most I, I I don't know if it's the ones that will happen but Atlanta, Boston and Dallas and then yeah Indiana probably kind of right there as well um I think those all make sense and and Dallas
1: Dallas feels like the one that's that's like both the most logical and the most impossible because like who wants anything that Dallas is going to put into a trade? yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, you're, if you're not getting, you know,
0: Josh green or the number 10 pick or something like that. And even then, you know, do the Suns have the use uh, really much of a use for the number 10 pick? I don't know. Um, but well, yeah, having that-
1: another cheap, another cheap piece, if you can get somebody who can contribute immediately, mm-hmm. then yes, that would make sense. And if Dallas sure. is willing to put Josh green on the table, then, uh, you know, yeah, but, um, the Celtics is a funky one because it's like, all right, is Robert Williams going the other way? Uh, are the mm-hmm. Celtics willing to to give up on both the allure and the frustration of of Robert Williams III? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't
0: know. And would the Suns um, really want to take take that on when they're already you know in some kind of a pressure situation themselves and say, okay, we'll we'll be the ones to deal with the will he won't he play situation there? It's it's not easy. Yeah. No, I don't think there's any obvious places.
1: Um, you know, Chicago seems to like to spin their wheels of, of being a 7th or 8th place team, and they're, and, they're you know, Vooch is a free agent, so, mm-hmm. you know, is there a way for Chicago to make a deal for, for Aiton as they continue to just kind of, like, flail around? Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here, but, yeah, yeah I don't... There's, there's not a lot of, like, obvious trade partners, but I think the ones you listed is, is, is the, the logical starting point.
0: So let me ask you this big picture to round us out here. Um, the new CBA was obviously designed in some ways to prevent what the Suns just did, although they did it before it went into effect, kind of probably looking over their shoulders at the deal, maybe a little bit of resentment of, Hey, we made this Durant trade having no idea what was coming and then you screwed us. So now we have to do this. I think there's probably an element of that going on from the Suns standpoint as well. But, from the other teams' standpoint, um, I'm wondering if you can give us an idea of. I've always wondered about the animosity or sort of disdain for what the, the Clippers and Warriors were doing, and I think those are kind of you know um, numbers one and two on the you know what list from from other owners that that led to some of these changes of preventing massive overspending. Not just we're dipping into the tax, but we are just going to use our money to to will ourselves into championship contention. And the Suns are kind of doing that. I mean, it's only one year. We don't know how long it'll go. We don't know how aggressive they'll be. There's some draft stuff that that starts to come into effect if you're a repeat offender here. But I wonder if you think the Suns are destined to kind of end up in that, you know, camp of reviled franchises by these <laughs> other owners. And it's just sort of a funny question yeah. because for a long time, they were the underspenders in the the you know the eye roll franchise that everyone wondered why it couldn't get its act together now we've we've switched so quickly
1: so in the early days of the i'm I'm going to do the I'm, I'm going to go grandpa mode here um kids sit down and let me let me tell you about the early days of the luxury tax so the luxury tax was created in the 1998 99 uh, at CBA after the most brutal lockout in NBA history and it 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 didn't kick in right away. It kicked in like 2002, I think, and nobody wanted to pay the tax. And it was only a dollar for dollar tax back then. It was it was not nearly as punitive as what they have eventually developed. But there were a few teams that just flouted it. Just said, "We don't care. We you know we think we're going to spend our way to prosperity." And back then, it was the Trailblazers of all teams, right? Small market team, but the Trailblazers were 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 spendthrifts. Um, the Trailblazers, the Mavericks under Mark Cuban in his early days was just like throwing money around. He was acquiring every bad contract. Nick Van Exel, Rafe LaFrance, Antoine Jameson, Antoine Walker, five other guys named Antoine making max deals. And then the Knicks, the team that I, I moved to New York to cover starting in 2004. The Knicks just piling on. Eddie Curry, Zach Randolph, you know, Steve Francis, Marbury, Penny Hardaway, Tracy McGrath. They didn't care. They'll take on everybody. They'll take on every max contract. Nobody resented those teams back then or was really bent out of shape about it. You know why? Because it didn't work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want to spend like crazy and you're losing, no one's going to resent you for it. Now, the Warriors and Clippers are interesting because the Warriors obviously have, they're they're the only reigning dynasty. They have four championships. And even after everybody was ready to bury them back in 2019, they rose again. And they rose again in part by being willing to spend hundreds of millions beyond a lot of other teams. So the small market teams, in particular, resented the Warriors partially because they didn't because they were outspending them by by outlandish degrees, but also because they were winning. I guess, which is my weird way of saying, if the Suns win it all, maybe there'll be resentment. If they lose, if they if this fails, everybody will just kind of shrug it off. But there's another caveat in all this. Um, this CBA, the one that is kicking in, in nine days, doesn't just penalize you monetarily. It's not just luxury tax and then a p- repeater tax and all these other things. They're taking stuff away. Important mm-hmm. things, cap exceptions, ability to do sign in trades, ability to do, to aggregate players in trades. Um, you mentioned Buyouts. the possibility yeah. of, yeah, yep, yeah, signing buyout candidates, um, having a draft pick frozen and then moved to the end of the first round in the future. There are serious penalties that affect your ability to actually function and keep building out a roster, which is part of the reason why I am skeptical of the sun's making the move in the first place. They have put themselves in a very precarious position with respect to the new CBA. So back to your question, resentment. I don't know that they're going to re that teams will look at them and go like, Oh, I can't believe this. They're flying in the face of everything we've just tried to achieve with this new CBA. No, they're going to say, Oh, Good luck, sons. Good luck doing this, because when it comes time for you to sign your Dante DiVincenzo, as the Warriors did a year ago, you won't be able to because the new deal, if in place a year ago, would have prevented the Warriors from signing a guy who ended up being a really important rotation player for them. It's going to be very hard. And so, yeah, in the old days, being this wild a spender might rankle the league office that would rather have spending parity of some sort or a narrower band of payrolls among the 30 teams. In the past, it would rankle small market teams and, and others who are saying, listen, we're all in this together. Don't, don't do this to us. You're, you're making it very hard on us, but there's this new CBA takes care of that probably because the penalties are very steep for spending into the stratosphere. So, um, yeah, I I I think chances are people are just kind of looking at it more with curiosity now and saying, "Well, good
0: luck." Very, uh, not not grandpaish at all. Very very good history <laughs> lesson there. I, I actually do think it's interesting. I and I, I did a little bit of it too. When the perception around Robert Sarver never paying the tax, he actually did it a couple times, but it was like literally pennies over, and the bill was not that significant. It is funny to see how it's all transformed over time and people as rich as Steve Ballmer get involved and hey things change but um, that will wrap us up you can listen to Howard across the network all offseason long I will be back after the draft if I can get the technology to cooperate from a uh, Airbnb in San Diego we shall see how that goes but hit follow subscribe get offseason content every day here on the channel throughout the offseason into next year and beyond the super team era is here in Phoenix you will want to catch it I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.